Welcome to the Shannon Plan. This is episode nine. I am joined by my buddy Akash. Akash, what's up, man? What's up, KP? How's it going? Uh, week two in the Bay Area. Uh, the 49ers are 0-2 uh, when I've been here. I, I was at the game this past weekend, and uh, never have I wanted to leave a game. I was uh, just praying the clock would run out so I could get the hell out of there. Uh, it was ugly, as uh, we all know. Yeah, 43-17. Nobody in their wildest dreams would have imagined the performances that we saw on either side of the ball. And we're eventually going to have to talk about you being the bad luck charm because this is the second week in a row that the 49ers lost when you've been there. We will get to that later. But we are here to break down the game. So as you mentioned, 43-17. Nobody would have thought that. Uh, Kyle Shanahan on his presser on Monday seemed pretty deflated. He was talking about how the miscommunications up front were still killing them. So there were three out of five sacks that were miscommunications from the offensive line. We're going to talk about that because the first half, there wasn't really those miscommunications. There was one, and people are focusing on that one, but that's one play out of maybe three, or sorry, maybe 30, 40 plays. So, and he also talked about six drops. That was a killer. And going two for 10 on third down, 0 for 2 on fourth down, like all those add up for an offense. But again, when you give up 43 points, and yes, the offense did put the defense in some bad situations, um, but you can't let the Dolphins score on third and goal from the 22-yard line. That should tell you enough. But let's talk about some of the injuries as well, and we're going to get to some. We're going to also talk about whether the clock is ticking on Jimmy G, the winnable games left on the schedule, and we'll get to a Rams prediction as well. So we will start with the We'll start with Quan Alexander, who Kyle Shannon said there is a possibility that he has a high ankle sprain. And with a high ankle sprain, you usually miss anywhere from four to six weeks. But let's hope we find out on Wednesday if Quan Alexander will practice or not. How big of a loss would Quan be? Uh, a pretty big loss. Um, I feel like a lot of fans uh, think that Quan Alexander is easily replaceable um, by Dre Greenlaw, who is good in his own right. But I think. The, the version of Quan Alexander that we've seen over the past few weeks, I'd say, um, the one that is good both in coverage as well as against the run, uh, fully healthy, aggressive, um, that is an upgrade, I'd say, over Dre Greenlaw. And if he has to miss any amount of time, which means you know Greenlaw would slide in uh, and Al Shair or someone else would have to play uh, in the third linebacker spot, that would be a loss for a defense that already is missing a bunch of pieces. Um, they can't, in my opinion, afford to lose another player. Um, and yeah, just hoping that it's not a high ankle sprain. I'm not even sure like how that's possible. I guess they diagnosed it and they're going to do some additional tests and there's some small chance that it's not. Um, and if it is a high ankle sprain, he's probably going to go on IR. Because um, as you said, he's probably going to miss at least four weeks. Yeah, Quan has been playing his tail off. So I thought he played his best game of the season against the Eagles, and he continued that against Miami. Obviously, his energy is great, and he does a really good job of hyping people up and, you know, being that rah-rah guy that every defense needs. But he's actually making plays, and he looked these past couple of weeks like pre-injury Quan from 2019. And I think the biggest difference between him and Greenlaw is, first of all, against the run, he's uber aggressive and he does a great job of attacking the line of scrimmage, filling his gaps, and that keeps Fred Warner clean. And that allows Warner 
or whoever the safety is, or even sometimes the linebacker on the other side, which is Greenlaw, to kind of scrape and make plays. And then in pass coverage, he does a really good job in zone coverage, what's called quote-unquote robotting, where he can kind of get to the second level and take away those routes. Him and Warner are fantastic, and they will more than likely take away what the Rams do. So um, that'll be a big loss. But I do think Greenlaw is very good in man coverage, and that might be another reason why Salah leans on man coverage moving forward. But yeah, Greenlaw, that'll be interesting to see if they do end up deciding to or if Alexander is hurt. So let's go back to Kyle Shannon, who, as we mentioned, seemed pretty deflated. He had an interesting quote, and we're going to just paraphrase here. It seemed like he basically said he wanted to stop throwing the ball as much as the 49ers are. And he kind of hinted at that if we're down multiple scores, for lack of better words, we're screwed. And that is that is a take. That is a take for a Kyle Shanahan offense who they were when they were clicking on all cylinders last season, they were tough to beat. But I don't a lot of people keep talking about it's the offensive line's issue. But I also see I also see, you know, the some of the talk about, you know, taking the ball to quarterback's hand. Which one is it? Who is at fault? And why do you what do you think Kyle was really trying to tell us? It was interesting because I've I don't think I've ever heard a coach say that they don't want to throw the ball so much and that they'd rather run the ball, especially when you have weapons like George Kittle and Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and Kendrick Bourne and uh, Jordan Reed earlier in the season, right? So his uh, philosophy, at least going into that game against Miami, was run the ball against the 31st ranked rushing defense uh, per DVOA and just run it, run it, run it all afternoon. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo coming off of a high ankle sprain. That was his first start. Um, let's not, you know, expose him and let's get away with the win and let's move on to next week. Right. But when you give up 14 points, you go three and out on your first two offensive possessions. Um, suddenly that plan goes out the window. Right. And it seemed like, uh, a good offensive staff, uh, like Kyle has couldn't really adapt to the situation and they struggled from there. And it seemed like he was effectively saying, I didn't plan on throwing the ball so much. And then when we went down 14, we panicked and we put Garoppolo in some bad spots. He threw a couple picks. And next thing you know, it snowballed uh, out of control. And the game was just effectively over by halftime, right? And they benched Garoppolo. And next thing you know, they basically waved the white flag at that point, uh, in my opinion. Uh, and the game was over. So I thought that was interesting. And, you know, to answer your question, okay, is it offensive line? Is it quarterback? I actually thought the offensive line in that first half, at least, didn't play as bad as advertised. Um, I feel like it's become a clutch this season for fans and people to just say that the offensive line hasn't played well. Because when it's looked bad, it's looked like ugly. Because some of the miscommunications just end up in like terrible sacks. But if you just look at the whole body of work over this over that game, at least the first half when Garoppolo was in there, he was only pressured on like six of his 20 dropbacks. Both of his interceptions came in clean pockets. So to me, it was like, it was more of a shot at Garoppolo than it was the offensive line. Um, but it was also a combination of just the lack of practice time that they've had. I think he said they haven't had a healthy, a practice where everyone was healthy, quarterback, running backs, receivers, tight ends, all that stuff. So it was a combination of those things with Garoppolo probably taking the majority of the blame. Yeah, and I think that's a, a perfect segue to kind of playing the blame game for the Dolphins game because 
Kyle's going to have to adjust, and he's going to have to learn that teams are going to do what the Dolphins did, what Seattle did last year, and they're going to make you throw the ball. So what the Dolphins did is they ran a, a bare front, which is where you have essentially a lineman covering up the center, and you're also going to cover up the guard. So you're going to take away that inside running game. You're going to allow your linebackers to be free, and you're going to pretty much load the box and make the receivers win in man coverage outside. And if you go to Niners Nation and read the good, bad, ugly that's on there, I have a couple of clips on there showing Debo Samuel is just struggling mightily to get off press coverage. And he has practiced like three or four times a season. So it's, it's going to be hard to be too down on him earlier in the season. And he, but he's going to have to play himself in shape. And the, the cornerbacks for Miami, they were very, very good. And Ayuk did not get open. Kendrick Bourne struggled to get open. So teams are going to be aggressive and sit on routes, and they're going to have to win on the outside. But again, Shanahan's going to have to adjust, and Garoppolo is going to have to start throwing people open. And that has been an issue so far. And he's just going to have to play a whole lot better. And we can kind of, we need to talk about the defensive side too, obviously. So when you give up 43 points, and we did mention that, you know, the interceptions did no help to the defense, but uh, Brian Allen was in the game and if you did not know who that is before the game the good news is you will never have to know who he is now because he will never play another snap for the 49ers I think that's a safe bet uh him and Jamar Taylor they were just they were not very good and Robert Sala did not do them any favors by putting them in positions um to not succeed uh the 49ers came out running a lot of man coverage and that is the simplest coverage so you don't really have to teach anything but Allen was having to guard Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, two good receivers. And he was having to do so without any help. And I mean, when you do that, you're going to get cooked. That's what happened. But I really, with, with that said, I don't think the defense played poorly. Like outside of those quote unquote 200 ish yards that they gave up, other than that, how was the funeral, Mrs. Lincoln? Like that's pretty much what it sounds yeah, like. But I, go ahead. My take is if you're Ryan Fitzpatrick, you get up to the line of scrimmage. You see a slot corner wearing 47, an outside corner wearing 48. You're thinking, I don't care who the guy is. I'm throwing the ball their way, right? Um, but jokes apart, I think especially a, a top-flight defense, I think is as good as their weakest corner. Um, and when you have like weak spots at two different positions um, with Taylor and Allen, it becomes that much harder to hide those guys right it's kind of like the basketball analogy where um if you have multiple bad defenders you can't hide them on defense they're they're gonna get exposed and i thought the same thing happened um even if sala robert sala just wasn't giving him any help at all um yeah it was it was crazy just watching ryan fitzpatrick would snap the ball and he would look directly to the receiver that allen was covering and he would just throw up the ball and Parker, Preston Williams, or whoever would just be wide freaking open. And yeah, Allen was yeah. losing his reps on like the first two or three steps, which is pretty tough to do yeah. to get yeah. that badly. Fitzpatrick was just stepping and throwing. So Jamar Taylor gave up four completions on five targets for 89 yards. Allen gave up, um, or sorry, that was Allen. So four completions on five targets for 96 yards, actually. Uh, Taylor, not much better two completions on three targets for 89 yards. They combined for three receptions total over 20 yards, a touchdown. 
Um, they they just they weren't in position to make any plays at all. So Allen had two huge penalties. Line. Yeah, yeah. It's like one of the what well, what were they? I forgot what um, it was. Uh, there was a pi in the in in the in the oh, red zone collar too. Yeah, and then there was a horse collar on the on a uh, a, a run in the red zone. And so yeah, one was a fifteen. It was a half the distance to the goal, so it wasn't the full fifteen yards. The other one was a pi, and Jesus, yeah, he just. Just an awful effort. My question, and a bunch of people had this, and you and I texted about this, is if Akella Witherspoon was healthy enough to play in the second half, why do you like not play him from the jump? Why do you throw in this practice squad guy that got called up on Saturday um, that just you can't expect anything out of Brian Allen? You and I, we aren't blaming him, right? He was put in a bad spot, so he was going to look bad. Um, he wasn't ever supposed to be in that position guarding Parker and Williams and whatnot uh, on Sunday. My thing is if Witherspoon's good enough to play a half, he's probably good enough to play a game at least or, you know, the full game. So why not at least run him out there uh, at the start? Uh, And maybe the result of the game is different. Yeah. And you would think that if he was going to be questionable and he's active, I think that's the big one. And I know they said he was emergency cornerback, but if he's active, and he's going to be an emergency cornerback, then Brian Allen should be the emergency cornerback. Throw yeah. Witherspoon out there. See if if he can't go, that's when you start to make the changes. Yeah. But as far as protecting Allen, they have they are still doing the field versus boundary thing, which I don't know why. Uh, they have their best cornerback, Jason Verrett, playing the field, which sees the fewest throws because nobody's going to throw across the field, which is like 20 20- – 20-yard throws, you saw the one throw that Brett was targeted on to the field, which was – a, or not he, – he was targeted more than one throw. But the one throw was a comeback route, and you saw how much Fitzpatrick had to put on that throw, and he missed high because it was such a long throw. Those are the routes – or those are the throws that you Where would you want. Brian Allen. Yeah, have yeah. Allen play. But they just – they had Jimmy Ward shaded towards Verrett for whatever reason. I know it's because of the field, but, I mean, if you're going to lose – Lose with your better players. Don't have Allen be the scapegoat. And that's where my biggest issue with Salah was. He just gave Allen zero opportunity to succeed. Yeah. And, I mean, again, it's it's tough to pick on Allen too much. Right. And the other thing is, I think he played four series, three or four series. And it's like, it's visible after one or two series that he's getting beat and beat bad. I mean, the first play of the game was like a 47-yard pass. And after the first drive, I did see Kyle Shanahan go over and talk to um, Brian Allen, and I'm sure it was like words of encouragement or whatever, right? But they got to do a quicker job of like adjusting on the fly and yanking guys when it doesn't work. Because if you let it bleed for two or three series, it effectively cost them the game, right? They gave up two touchdowns and they're down 14. And I mean, you can't blame them for the entirely for the loss because the offense didn't hold up their end of the bargain. But yeah, it's deflating when you know ten guys are playing well. And Brian Allen's just getting exposed on the outside. Um, it's just, just inexcusable uh, from the defensive coaching staff, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, kind of on that note, um, before we got on, they did sign Parnell Motley, Motley off of the Buccaneers practice squad. Um, so even more reason that we will not see Brian Allen ever again, hopefully. Yeah, I, I don't see it happening. But I, I do wonder if... Since K1 Williams is still out, if Jamar Taylor is going to trot back onto the field, 
because he cannot play. Like he couldn't guard Trent Taylor in training camp. There's a reason that the 49ers did not elevate him from the 40 or from the practice squad until just now. But why not Tarverius Moore? Because in their system with what they do, that cornerback, that nickel cornerback position is actually more of a safety. Like he's not doing the same things you would ask a normal cornerback to do. So that's like a perfect position for a Tarverius Moore. So on that third down play where the 47 yarder where um Oh, man, I'm just getting mad thinking about it because it was such a bad play. So Taylor is so they're running what's called stubby. And when number one eliminates himself or number three eliminates himself, you have number two all the way. So it's him in man coverage against a slot receiver. He is backpedaling. He actually has a head start like he has depth already. So he's backpedaling. He's turning around looking like a little leaguer who has no idea how to catch a fly ball. And then he gets turned around, doesn't find the ball. And he's not even close. Yeah, the route is over his head. Like, you you really don't see that poor of coverage. And uh, during training camp, man, he was struggling to guard Trent Taylor, I was telling you guys. But I don't I don't see how you trot him back out there. And if your reason is because he can blitz and make a tackle when he's unblocked, that is very poor because Tarverius Moore is a 4-3 athlete. He has always been very – played very well the last couple seasons when – in the roles that he's asked to do. So I think we're going to see some sort of change and – I'll be interested to see if if Motley. I wonder if he'll be active or it'll it'll help because we Shanahan did mention we won't see Richard Sherman because he did have a setback and that that's concerning because I wonder how how long that setback will be. Hopefully it's only a week. But Emmanuel Mosley, they did get good news with him. He's been in the concussion protocol for about a, a couple weeks, um, a little over two weeks. And Kyle Shanahan said he is optimistic that he will return to practice on Wednesday. So that'll be a big deal. Um, they're going to have to. They're going to need both of those guys down the stretch. Yeah, I think uh, they got the Rams this week, so Cooper Cup's going to be in the slot a lot. You don't want Jamar Taylor covering Cooper Cup because if I was Jared Goff, I would look uh, to Cup every single time. Um, so I wondered, okay, uh, Parnell Motley has experience, I think, outside and in the slot a little bit. What if they go Mosley if he's active in the slot uh, instead of Jamar Taylor and they go Motley outside? I mean, that's a stretch considering they just signed him like, today and with COVID protocols and whatnot, he may not be with the team right. till later in the week. Um, I would even roll back Dante Johnson. Whew. That's how far we've gone. <laughs> Dante Johnson, please come back. That's that's where we are at right now. What but a- it's like it's like pick your poison, right? Either you play yeah. Mosley on the outside, you get Taylor in the slot, or you play Mosley in the slot and you get Dante Johnson or um, Brian Allen or Parnell Motley or someone like that on the outside, right? And it's – yeah. I don't know. So what I would do is I would put Moore or Ward in the slot, and I would leave Mosley to the uh, to the field boundary, whatever. I mean, I would put Mosley to the field and put Verrett to the to the boundary just based on their abilities and how they play. Um, th- but st- just play your best players. Like that's what you have to do. Stop mixing and matching with these practice squad dudes and put your best eleven players on the field. This is not very difficult. Everybody does that. The Patriots do that. And that's why they're so successful because they just put their best athletes on the field. And the 49ers have athletes. And when Tarverius Moore is on the field, I know I'm making it sound like he's Ed Reed. He's not. But when he's on the field, good things happen. And it's very simple to just put your best players on the field. So we'll see. I imagine there will be some sort of mixing up, some sort of change. Kyle Shanahan did say that they were getting ready for these emergency situations. And there was some discussion about Moore and Ward playing even outside cornerback. So, um, we are going to see it. We're going to take a quick break here. When we get back, we're going to talk about Jimmy G. We're going to talk about the winnable games left on the schedule, and then we're going to make a Rams prediction. 
All right, we're back, and we are going to talk about Jimmy Garoppolo, who would you say that was his worst game ever? Yeah, yeah, by a country mile. Um, yes. Yeah, I think the the close second might be the 2018 opener in Minnesota where he threw a couple picks, but yeah, that oh, was, was bad. Worse. That yeah. was bad. I mean, on the opening drive, he comes out, um, has that third down play that I they, the broadcast had a, like a end zone angle of it. And you could see him, you know, start to look at George Kittle, who wasn't open, but he would clear the zone. And then he turns to McKinnon and he just fires at a covered McKinnon where he had no chance of catching the ball. No. And pocket wasn't great, but I thought it was decent. But it's frustrating because Garoppolo doesn't extend plays um, given offensive line struggles, whatever, and or doesn't like you mentioned earlier, anticipate throws and throw receivers open. Like he needs to see guys open or um, yeah. Or he, he's not anticipating throws like we've, like we see other quarterbacks make. And it's just wildly frustrating uh, no matter how you want to slice and dice it. Um, and he's played what eight quarters of the season. Uh, the opener against Arizona, people are saying that it was, you know, the lack of a preseason or a training camp or whatever attributed to rust this one he got yanked at halftime and people are attributing it to a sprained ankle like coming off of a sprained ankle i just thought he looked bad and i kind of the analogy for me is like uh, a starting pitcher who just doesn't have like their stuff on a given night like even the best of uh, starting pitchers sometimes you just don't have it and you get yanked and i felt that was the thing with garoppolo and i didn't want to make it more about his ankle and protecting him and whatnot, like his decision-making, his ability to like dissect pre-snap, being accurate with the ball, like all that stuff just wasn't there on Sunday. And it's something we've seen now multiple starts, at least this season, if we're we're just talking about 2020. And it's like, that's, that stuff's got to get fixed ASAP. Um, Otherwise, yeah, I don't see how you move forward with a player if he continues to play this way, right? Um, that's just yeah. my take from from Sunday. Yeah, based on two and a half games, and I feel like it's safe to say we can throw out and just ignore everything we've seen against the Jets or in that Jets game. Doesn't count. The Jets are not a real NFL team, so we cannot give them credit for what yep. they did against the Jets. Um, what we saw from Jimmy Garoppolo has quietly been consistent with everything that he's shown us in the last, I mean, in the past few games and at training camp, he was making these boneheaded throws where he was throwing across his body, trying to be a hero. He he's doing the same things in the games. Like I was telling people these bad habits, you can't do those and expect them to not show up on Sundays, but those same things are happening and he's getting happy feet in the pocket, which was not what we saw in training camp. But again, there's no way to simulate live bullets. So when there's pressure coming at you, when you know you're going to get hit, and maybe that's where the ankle is coming into play, where he has happy feet, his feet and eyes are just not married at all. And it is killing his accuracy. Like he is missing bad. Um, I, so when I'm looking at these throws, he had seven targets, or sorry, he had um, seven throws that were on target on Sunday and he had 10 throws that were off target on Sunday. When you do like in the simplest terms, an NFL quarterback should not be that inaccurate. And I don't care if he's playing on one leg that's hobbled, but you didn't 
you didn't have an idea like when you were watching him you don't really come away thinking oh wow his ankle is hurt yeah I've seen people say that the ball is coming out the wrong way but he's just like fading away he's not even stepping into his throws and how he throws he doesn't really like he, he normally his cleats are on the ground but because his feet are all over the place like that was the big issue and man i can only imagine the the butt chewing he got in that meeting I, I'm no footwork or mechanic ex, mechanics expert, but when you just watch quarterbacks play and how some, especially these younger quarterbacks like Justin Herbert or Josh Allen or these guys, right, uh, over the over the last couple of days, and just watch how their feet move and watch how Garoppolo's feet move, it's like in a completely different universe. And you mentioned the happy feet, and it's exactly that, right, where he starts like jumping around in the pocket a little bit before like the pressure gets there. And then he starts patting the ball a little bit, and you you can sense that this throw's like not going to get there, or it's going to be late, or it's going to be inaccurate before he even makes it. And he does that a lot, where he like short arms it, or he's throwing off his back foot. Um, he doesn't step into a throw. Like I, I mentioned this earlier in the season, but the difference between when he steps into a throw and when he doesn't is is vast. Um, and yeah, sometimes it's because there's a rusher in his face or there's a lineman that's pushed back in him or whatever, but it's just bad mechanics that seem to like rear its head in the worst spot. And like you mentioned, when live bullets are flying, when you're in that moment, you're going to rely on those habits that you've built between practice and camp and workouts and all that stuff. And it seemed like ever since 2017 or ever since the ACL, really like those mechanics never got cleaned up. And this is the same Garoppolo that we've seen since last season. It was hidden last season because the 49ers ran the ball so well. They they were off to a hot start where they never really needed him to like throw them into games. Um, and he looked good down the stretch, but just consistently across 16 games, there wasn't ever the sense that like, oh, he's just going to pick you apart from the pocket or whatever, right? Um and I feel like that's been magnified this season just because of the way they've needed him against Arizona, where they needed him to come back and win the game, and he was unable to do so. And then against Miami, where they went three and out on the first two drives, and then he had two of probably the worst picks I've seen any quarterback throw this weekend. Like, he airmailed dudes, and just frustrating. Yeah, the, the decision-making on those interceptions – are far worse than any injury excuse that you can imagine. So, like, he's on the left hash on the final th- the final interception before the half. He's on the left hash, and he resets and then loads up to try to throw it across his body against the field. Like, those are the plays that he was throwing in training camp that, for whatever reason, were getting ignored and getting passed. And people were chalking up to practice that were there. And it's like, no, like, this is – like, you just can't have those type of bad habits. So, uh, we're going to see – He's going to have a chance since he has only started two and a half games. He's going to have a chance to redeem himself and the schedule will not get any easier. And we are going to talk about that because um, they, the 49ers are going to play seven potential playoff teams in a row right now. So uh, two and three right now, there is a very good chance that they have a losing record. <laughs> um, they continue to have a losing record as the season goes on. So let's talk about some of these games. Uh, next game, Rams. At home, divisional matchup, uh, the Rams just put a whooping on the Washington football team, and the Rams look very good. McVay looks like he's back in his bag. Aaron Donald is still a monster. Lee's league in sacks is like tied for six, I believe, in quarterback hits. And um, Jalen Ramsey is still very good. 
the Rams, they don't have a deep threat, though. They don't really have a deep threat. They do, though, pick you apart, like we'll stretch you horizontally. And, I mean, as I said, McVay looks like he's back to doing McVay things. Will the 49ers beat the Rams? Uh, I'm going to go no, not a chance in hell. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty confident. They're, what, three-point favorites? I thought it would be more like five or six, even though they're on the road. I mean, there's no fans, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, yeah. The travel, which L.A. to San Francisco, not a big deal. But uh, the Rams right now have the best rushing offense in the league uh, per DVOA. They have the seventh-best passing offense uh, in the league. Jared Goff looks more comfortable. Um, like you mentioned, Sean McVay looks like his 2018 self when they went to the Super Bowl. Um I made the comparison that like 2018 Sean McVay kind of looks like 2020 Kyle Shanahan. Um, like their offensive lines have similarly like fell off the map. Their uh, running attacks similarly have struggled and their quarterbacks looked significantly worse and their teams uh, have lost. Obviously the Rams finished nine and seven last season. I don't think then maybe the Niners get there. Who knows? We'll talk about that probably later in the pod. Um, but the Rams come in healthier than the 49ers. They have more playmakers than the 49ers. Um, how is this offensive line going to stop Aaron Donald? How are they going to stop Cooper Cup and Robert Woods? Um, Jalen Ramsey, is he going to pick off Jimmy Garoppolo? I would lean yes uh, <laughs> if he starts. Um, yeah, the only thing the 49ers have, that, have going for them this game is that they're going to wear the 1994 all-white throwback unis. Those are clean, by the way. Those are my favorite uniforms that they've got. Outside of that, uh, Kyle Shanahan can go rah-rah all he wants. I just feel like they're outmatched. Like the Rams games last year, even when the Rams weren't good, came down to the wire. That first game in Los Angeles was a dogfight. Uh, that second game I was there, it took two Garoppolo, not Hail Marys, but like throws that he normally doesn't make <laughs> on third and 16, took a blown coverage for them to win that game. And I think the Rams have improved, and I think the 49ers just don't have enough. I would expect a Rams blowout. Whew. So I think that game is going to be close. And I think of all the games that we're going to talk about, the Rams are their best option to win, like their best chance to win, just because I think that they do match up defensively with the Rams. But as you said, the offensive line against Aaron Donald has to worry you. And they getting pressure, obviously, and making poor decisions and then getting open against those cornerbacks because they do have guys that can cover as well outside of Ramsey. So it's going to come down to will you be able to get open against their man coverage? So we haven't seen that yet, but I do think that it will be a closer game. Okay, next on the schedule, the (laughs) Patriots. So the Patriots are going to – so Cam Newton hasn't been able to get a positive COVID test yet. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. Or negative COVID test. Or negative COVID test, yes. That makes no sense. Positive Uh, (laughs) situation, negative COVID test. (laughs) So their defense, though, is very good. I feel like just the way that they match up, they're going to do a lot of the things that Dolphins did where they Uh, on a 6-1 front, they're going to run that bear, and they're going to force you to win outside. And they have some of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. So um, I predicted that the Patriots would beat the 49ers, even when healthy before the season got them flack for that. I'm not sure why. I mean, um, but I, maybe, I don't Maybe Brian Hoyer, Hoyer was on the team at that time? No. <laughs> yeah, the, the Jared Stidham hype train. Yeah. But I have a hard time believing that they were going to beat the Patriots on the road, and that was, you know, assuming fans are there still. Not much has changed. I think the that New England 
will be able to give them fits on offense just by getting ahead of the chains and getting into, you know, those short down and distances. And that means, you know, Cam Newton is going to run assuming he plays. So um, I'm going to say no on the Patriots. What do you have? Well, here's the thing. Their two best players have COVID right now, or uh, they're on the COVID list, I should say. Cam Newton and Stephon Gilmore. So it depends on if they play, right? If they don't play and Brian Hoyer has to play, I have significantly more confidence or Stidham that the 49ers could win that game. But if Newton's out there and he's doing the things that he did, you know, early on in the season, uh, yeah, it's going to be a tough one, uh, especially on the road. Luckily, it's not a 10 a.m. game. It's a 1.30 game. So at least body clock-wise, it'll be okay. Um, but especially after a Sunday night game against the Rams, got to go cross-country. Um, and like you mentioned, Bill Belichick's going to probably watch the Dolphins-Niners tape, right? He's probably going to call up Bill uh, Brian Flores, excuse me, uh, who was his former employee, and I'm sure they're going to use the exact same game plan. And if Garoppolo plays, he's pro- he's got a good book on Garoppolo. He drafted him, right? Uh, I would expect Garoppolo to struggle. I had them winning that game before the season started, but with all the injuries that they've had, I just think the Patriots win. Okay, so next game, on the road to Seattle. Hopefully, we both get to go to that one. Um, we we will see, but the Seahawks are high flying. They're undefeated. They're five and zero. Their offense is rolling. They probably have the MVP. They arguably have the best receiver in the game, and Mosley actually played DK Metcalf pretty well last year. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say, but Metcalf is a different player, and this year, and I do think Seattle's defense will like the 49ers will be able to move the ball against their defense because their defense is not good at all, but. That might not matter because Seattle may put up 40 <laughs> just based on everything we've seen. They're going to be able to score at will, assuming that solid doesn't adjust. So I'm going to say no on the road to Seattle. I'm not going to spend too much time on that. Uh, I'm going to go no. I had a little bit more confidence in this game maybe a couple weeks ago, just thinking that, okay, the offense is going to be healthy going into that game. Um, if they look like their 2019 self, like they would have a shot because it'd be just a high-scoring game. Um, and I think the 49ers defense is better than the Seahawks defense. Like if you had to rank the four units, I'd go Seahawks offense, 49ers offense, uh, 49ers defense, and then dot, dot, dot Seahawks defense. Right. So I thought just based on that, they would have a puncher's chance, uh, especially on the road, no fans, uh, probably going to be cold and rainy in a couple of weeks. So you may not be able to throw the ball as much. Um, but the way that they played last week, I can't see them winning in Seattle. So I'm going to go no. Uh, next game on the schedule. So four days later, Thursday night football <laughs> home against the Packers, who Aaron Rodgers, also MVP candidate, has not has looked like an MVP candidate for in a couple games without his two best receivers. Um, they yeah, he's just playing out of his mind right now. They can get pressure too. They do a good job with uh I forgot who it's the, a Darius uh, and uh Preston Smith. Smith Rose. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, they're they're going to be tough on a short week. I'm going to say no. Yeah, I think if you ask fans before the season started, they'd be like, "Oh yeah, the 49ers are going to take care of business against the Packers because of what we've seen the last last season, right?" But Aaron Rodgers looks like he's in FU mode. He looks like the 2011 to 2014 version of Aaron Rodgers. Um, they're flinging it around, right? Yeah, with Kyle's basically Kyle's offense, right, with Lafleur, um, and they're just healthier right now on defense. Um, you mentioned the pass rush. I like their corners, Kevin King and Jair Alexander as well. 
Um, and there's no Blake Martinez to expose anymore. <laughs> um, and, you know, the post-Seattle week is always tough because it's going to be a physical game. Guys are going to get banged up. It's a short week. I say they lose that one too. Packers and Rodgers going to come in, and Rodgers is going to want to destroy the 49ers, especially after the embarrassment that they had last season. So the 49ers will get a mini buy, and they'll have a 10-day span before they play. They travel to New Orleans and play the Saints. And the Saints don't look very good. Drew Brees does not look very good. Obviously, they have Kamara. They have Emmanuel Sanders. They have good players. And they'll probably have Michael Thomas back by then, assuming he doesn't punch another one of his teammates. Slant boy. (laughs) Slant boy. Like, why was that not trending on Monday night? That was very disappointing that he did not do more black than that. Um, Jared Cook. So they have weapons. But Drew Brees looks like he has no interest in throwing the ball down the field. <laughs> so that defense has just been pretty opportunistic. I weirdly lean closer to yes in this game, assuming that the 49ers will have, you know, be as, as close to healthy as they can possibly get. And um, Jimmy Garoppolo is not throwing Hail Marys on second and third down. So, I, I mean, I'm not going to say yes, but I think this is after the Rams, this is probably the next their next game that they can they can win yeah i agree with that i'm gonna go yes on this game just because they're gonna be what two and six we think right uh one two something like that two and six two and seven after that packers loss they're gonna have to find a way to win one of these games and i think the most winnable game probably is that uh saints game just because drew Brees is arguably playing the worst out of the stretch of quarterbacks that they play Brees looks like he winds up to throw like a 15 or 20 yard pass and he just doesn't have it and then he checks it down to kamara right he looks and, like a 40 year old man right and the 49ers probably gonna have fred warner Quan alexander covering alvin kamara uh my guess is they just sit in the middle of the field and try to take away everything deep and i imagine there's no fans unless they play it you know at lsu which i see as a possibility um i just think the 49ers win that game they they, they got to win one of these and i think that's the one they win so then we have the Rams again, and then they have the Bills on Monday night. So the Bills, they're hot, and they're hot right now. Obviously, that is a long time from now. They don't play the Bills until December. December. But, I mean, the, it'll be – the 49ers have shown that they have struggled to contain mobile quarterbacks, quarterbacks that can create outside of structure. Allen does a great job of creating outside of structure. He is a roller coaster, so he will give you opportunities to make plays, and he will also just make you pull your hair out as a defensive coordinator because he will throw the ball across the field when you would probably never teach somebody to do that and then complete a long first down. So um, I think the Bills are one of the best coach teams in the NFL. Agreed. I don't think they make very many mistakes, so I don't see this current version of the 49ers beating that Bills team. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. I was just sorry. I was just looking at the schedule and I was counting. So they're two and three right now. We thought they'd lose the next four games. So they, that would put them at two and seven. We both think they'd win against the Saints. So that puts them at three and seven. And then if they lose the next two after that against the Rams and the Buffalo, they would be sitting at what? Three and, uh, nine through 13 weeks. And I think the first game where you could be confident and be like, yeah, they're going to win this one is against the Washington football team on December 13th. And whoever they roll out, right? Whether it's Alex Smith, uh, comeback player of the year, probably, or Kyle Allen. What a what a time! So we were just talking about the 49ers going, you know, nine and seven, ten and six a week ago, 
And now we're talking about them winning three games. So before we get out of here, let's talk about two things. Let's say that they are, let's say four and whatever, three and whatever coming into that Washington game. Is Jimmy Garoppolo starting all of those games or do they pull the plug on him mid-season or do they just roll with Jimmy because he's the quote-unquote best option? I don't think they pull the plug on him uh, during the season just because you're paying him $27 million. And I think yeah. this is the season you have to find out, like, is this the guy of the future? If it's a lost season because you lost Nick Bosa, you lost Steve Ford, uh, and just for whatever reason, it is, it's a gap year, quote unquote, you still got to find out like who on your roster you want to keep moving forward. And the biggest ticket there is Garoppolo, right? He's got what, like a $2.9 million dead cap or whatever it is next season. So essentially you could cut him and move on, find someone else. And you have to find that out this season, in my opinion. And, you know, through eight quarters, it doesn't look the part, but you have to give them the opportunity against better competition um, to win, win the job, right? Effectively. And yeah, I don't think they'll be in a position where they can like tank for a top quarterback. So it makes no sense to me to just pull the plug on Garoppolo uh, early. Okay, so let's say that going into that Washington game, they're a four or five win team, whatever, and they do have a chance to draft a quarterback. How fitting would it be that the 49ers win that game and are no longer in a position to draft a top quarterback? Like that would probably drive a lot of fans insane, but I could completely see that happening. I could see that too. They have more talent than the football team. Yeah, assuming that the, the schedule doesn't bear out like, you know, or does bear out like we think it does and the 49ers continue to struggle but i will say that they they do have even with all these injuries they still have so much talent that it would not surprise me that they pull out one of these games and then kind of you know shanahan figures out you know this is what i can do on offense and sticks with that if anything what if this shows that oh maybe i have to give raheem mostert the ball and you know they feel like that that works out the best for them so that'll be something to keep an eye on i think we covered pretty much everything though um we the, as far as the Rams go next week, I I think that they have a chance. They are currently they opened up as three and a half point home underdogs, which is nuts. But they are now it's up to three and a half. I wonder if where do you think that line closes? Uh, I'd go like four points. It probably doesn't move much. Um, just depending on the injury situation, it sounds like Garoppolo is going to be starting. Um, if they can get one of these cornerbacks corners back, I should say sorry, uh, like Mosley, then. I, I figured the line will stay put. The one uh, positive thing for the 49ers, at least rushing offense-wise, they look pretty good on Sunday. Uh, the Rams are, I think, 28th uh, in the league, at least per DVOA. So they have an advantage there, I think. Um, and say they do pull this game out somehow by some miracle, and they're 3-3, <laughs> three and three, the tune on the pod is going to be very different next week. We're going to be talking about how they can like position themselves for the playoffs and that they're back and all this kind of I stuff. Can't wait. I yeah, cannot wait for this podcast to just be just up and down every week. One week yeah, it'll yeah. be, oh man, tank for Trevor. <laughs> yeah. In the next week it'll be Super Bowl. Here we come. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 w- I spent a good chunk of yesterday, like night, looking at okay the like the playoff picture in the in the NFC, and I was like, oh, they're only a game out. Like, okay, they got to compete against you know Arizona, probably Chicago. If I'm guessing they'll fall off a little bit and. Uh, Carolina's three and two, and Tampa Bay is three and two, and I was like, okay, if they can just pull this one out, the tune completely changes. But I just can't see them doing that. 
Well, if you don't lose to the Eagles or the Dolphins, yeah, that's true. Or the Cardinals at home week one. Yeah. So honestly, and as difficult as these next seven whatever games may be, you probably won't find an easier first five games. So I know the 49ers have like 13 players on the injured reserve. I know they've had a tough draw, but you you just can't lose the games that they did in the fashion that they did. So that's why it's pro- that's why it's easy to not be as optimistic moving forward. But again, what like all it takes is one game to get hot, and if that happens, let's do it. I'm all for that. Like it, it'll make this season fun just to see how the 49ers look moving forward. But that that'll be all for us today. My name's Kyle Posey. You can find me on the Twitters at KP underscore Show Akash. How about you? You can find me on Twitter at A-K-A-S-H-A-N-A-V. And until next time, it's Go Niners.